A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of the Force Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center podcast feed. I'm Ken Napsok. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw, and this is a rare treat for us. This is an episode of Force Center called Force Center Meets. Uh, Meets is spelled with two E's. Someday we'll do an episode where we just have maybe some salami and talk Star Wars. That will be fun. Uh, But we've done a few of these episodes where we meet another Star Wars fan, talk about their uh, interest in Star Wars, and just get to know them as a fan and the cool stuff that's going on for them. So I'm excited for this, Ken. This is going to be a lot of fun because we have ourselves a Star Wars fan and a Star Wars 
author in the Four Center studio today. We have got two wonderful books coming your way. We got Star Wars Exploring Tatooine, an illustrated guide, and Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, Edge Treasures from Batu. These are from Inside Editions, a company we love so much, and the author of these books and a big giant Star Wars fan is Riley Silverman, and she's with us today. Riley, welcome to Four Center. Hello, thank you for having me. And I should point out that at Galaxy's Edge, you can get a charcuterie board at the Ogus Cantina. So if you want to do four center meets something, it is right there for the taking. You can, you can get a reservation at Ogus. You can enjoy a nice plate of meat. Oh, wow. The sweatiest podcast ever. Uh, not <laughs> even in any sort of euphemism form, but literally a uh, hot, sweating epitou, eating meat, talking Star Wars. I can't wait for that one. Yeah, yeah, that was added to the menu after I wrote my Batu book, as well as a new. Uh, there's like a pretzel bread thing. It's it's. I can't remember what their in universe name for it is off the top of my head, but it's delicious. <laughs> it just secures second editions of books when they add pretzel items to menus. Indeed. <laughs> also, there's a third book that I think was not on the radar when I originally booked this, but did get announced mm-hmm. at Comic Con this year, which oh, is the right. Life Day pop up book and Advent calendar, which is also coming out this fall. So you can oh. look forward to that as well. Awesome. When when that comes, we're going to have to have uh, Jennifer Landa come in and uh, interview uh, Riley about that one, Joseph, because (laughs) Landa and Life Day go together hand in hand. (laughs) She's a big Life Day fan. She just loves it when Wookiees have a little uh, ceremonial blanket robes. Wookiees can have a robe for a treat. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Riley, you've done many, many things. Stand-up comedy, which is where I first met you at a Joseph Scrimshaw produced comedy show, uh, RPG live plays, podcast, comedy writing, pop culture writing. Uh, So what's your focus right now other than Star Wars and, and how does it all tie together and where does Star Wars factor into that? Uh, well, how it all ties together is that I have ADHD and so I can't keep one particular <laughs> thing constant. Like I wish I wish that I was able to be more focused on one particular medium and like get mm. really good at it and maybe famous. But mm. instead, my brain goes where there is opportunity or where excitement is or, you know, uh, adventure, excitement. I, a writer craves all these things. So <laughs> I I that's my I think the the, the closest thing I have to. The thing that ties it all together is it's all usually pretty nerdy. That's kind of like, I I think that like my, Mm. like if I had to give myself a title, it's professional geek. So that's probably like the closest I have for it. Yeah. Uh, Focus right now. Besides that, I think it's still lots of pop culture writing and uh, a friend of mine and I wrote a screenplay that we are, it's kind of like the last two and a half years we've been constantly on the verge of it getting made. And so mm. my focus is hoping that eventually goes across that board. I hope that we eventually get that, that, that green lit. So. That's awesome. No, and I love, I'm right there with you on the, uh, you know, it's not the master of none idea, but it's the, I get the theory behind it. Like if I could just maybe, if I just did this one thing, but I just love creating, love doing other things. So I'm sure you probably experienced that as well, especially all of us have a lifetime of geek. And now we can use that to, to, uh, you know, share our loves with the world. That's uh, why stop yourself, you know? Yeah. And there's lots of mediums. And so it's really fun to play in different things and they all like poke different things at my brain. Like, you know, I did stand up for 20 years. I don't really do it anymore, but I did it for two full decades. And so now I think because I'm so I'm so over having done like a very solo on stage thing. Hmm. Now, so much of my like focus when it comes to performing is things that are collaborative, which is why I love RPGs so much and why I love like I like writing with other people more than I like writing on my own. But hmm. I'm also <laughs> often writing on my own anyway. But yeah, so. <laughs> Do you feel like um, that if a if another thing came along that you would be interested in in 
adding something uh, new to your quiver of uh, artistic experiences? Because I think we're in this fascinating place where obviously a lot of us uh, kind of need to do multiple things. And sometimes a shiny thing pops up and you're like, well, I should do that because it will fill this gap of time or money or experience. But then there's also just this desire to learn and do more. So do you think you're still in a phase of responding to shiny things? Yeah, I think especially because I put stand-up behind me, I think that when I made that decision, which actually, Joseph, you were I was on you were on the last stand-up show I did because it was a show we did together at Gallifrey One in 2020. Yeah, and, no, and I think I hadn't realized that you had kind of stepped away and I was like, hey, do you want to do this? And you were kind of like, I'll do it one more time. <laughs> well, what what we we had talked about doing it the year before and it got That's pushed right. back to the next year. And so I mm-hmm. felt like I had made the commitment to do it with you. And then as it got closer and closer, I was getting more and more anxious because I'm like, I don't know if I'm good at this anymore. <laughs> but I was like, That's a good way to yeah, that was a good bow out, like at a place that I love where I like being around the space and stuff like that. But yeah, when I stopped doing stand-up, I had this kind of mentality of, okay, this thing that you used to love is not giving you the joy it used to, mm-hmm. and it takes up a lot of your creative energy. And so it was very much a, if you put this aside, what will your brain do with that creative energy moving forward? And I don't know if I've actually found the thing that completely replaces stand-up for me, or if anything will, but I think mm-hmm. that's why, to answer your thing about shiny things, I think I'm looking for things like, okay is this a thing that I can put some of this energy into? Is this a thing that I can try something with? So I think that's where I'm at with it right now. So I'm kind of in this, and as things are opening up and as the world is changing again, I think there is, you know, a lot of space right now to try new things. So it's, mm. I think, I guess I'm very much the Qui-Gon Jinn of, of <laughs> writing and creating right now, where it's like, oh, let's do things at different angles and try different things. So uh, I think it's very smart to look at our creative lives like a resource management game, like you're playing a video <laughs> game. And like, I only have this much room in my suitcase. If I rotate my grenade launcher, <laughs> what yeah, else can exactly. I fit in there creatively? <laughs> yeah, I, I just need a, I need a bag of many things, but for <laughs> creative, yeah. creative so I don't burn out. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's part. As someone who has uh, quit and returned to stand-up comedy like three or four times, I respect anyone that uh, makes the decision to step away, and then also being open to the possibilities of maybe the love returns, or maybe something hits, or maybe you have something you want to say. And that's that is very quiet. God, just being yeah. you know present and then open. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm open. Going. I, ne- I never said never, never when I left, but I did mm-hmm. say I'm going to stop this until I feel like doing it again. And yeah. I do think that it was the right choice because I will say that over the course of 2020, when all the sh- the places mm-hmm. closed down and took a while and things we still haven't really fully come back at least in LA yeah I haven't missed it like I haven't had any moment where I've been like chomping at the bit like oh I wish I can get back on a stand-up stage I'm kind of like no I'm good in fact people even invite me to go see stand-up shows and I'm like no I'm good I'm okay I don't need people will tell me about comedy shows they were at and I'm like I don't even want to hear about that anymore (laughs) yeah I, I understand I just did my first stand-up show in you know multiple years mostly because of the the pandemic and it was both like thrilling and oh no because I've opened up more space in my life of like oh no I don't want to be thrilled by this (laughs) (laughs) well you always have approached stand-up in a way that I've always been impressed by and it's where you almost do your comedy almost like a one-man show where you kind of seem to like write a whole show around a theme like your Joseph Scrimshaw versus feelings or Joseph Scrimshaw on the time of comedy and stuff like that (laughs) which I'm impressed by and I wish that I, I wish that I could approach it as more like creating new bodies of work each time, as opposed to me chewing over this. Like I, I always kind of never did the same bit the same way twice because I would get bored of them too fast if I did that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. a lot of my like shows were me riffing on ideas and building on stuff, which is, I guess, 
the closest I can think of as to my inspiration for that kind of comedy was, was like Eddie Izzard, who, you know, she always mm-hmm. does things a little bit differently each time and kind of worked through things and, you know, her new hour would come out of her old hour and things like that. Yeah, well, it, you know, it made uh, watching you perform and perform with you fun because, you know, I, I have plenty of uh, comedian friends that I love and sometimes like, maybe I should invite this person on the show because I would like to hear that exact set again, <laughs> which yeah. is fine and good and it's a great way to build things. But it was always fun to do shows with you, Riley, because I'd be like, oh, I recognize half of that bit or that one's brand new. Yeah, uh, it was not great for wanting to get on television because right. yeah. so many times like, hey, send us your your tight five. And I'd be like, I don't understand what those words mean in that, in that combination. <laughs> every time well in in uh, making a decision about stand-up or a lot of creative things you open up some space for star wars you got these wonderful books coming out i'm very excited about the tattooing excited about all of these to be clear but i just feel as though i've grown up on tattooing with a lot of folks as a star wars star wars fan yeah. so excited to dive in tell us a little about your star wars books so yeah the tattooing book was the big one that was the first one that i got and then basically based on having done that my publisher inside editions came back to me and said hey we have a couple more books if you want to work on these as well but yeah the tattooing one was the one where about a year and a half ago i was sitting at my computer in the middle of recording a podcast because again master of none and i got an email during a break that said you know it was forwarded from my manager and it just said riley's over my potential star wars project question mark and then that's the moment i died and since then i've been in you know a corpse which has been <laughs> rough on me but yeah i got that done and that was like kind of like late march early april of 2021 and then it took about a month for everything to kind of work out and then actually weirdly enough my my, my, I had to do an outline first of the Tatooine book and send it off to get Lucasfilm to approve the outline. And then once they sent that back approved, then I could start writing the book in earnest. And my outline was actually due to my publisher on May the 4th, which was just like the oh. most perfect timing. <laughs> and yeah, it was just it was just getting to do this really fun, deep dive into Tatooine. And I, I agree with you, Ken. I think like, I think. Tatooine's the closest thing Star Wars has to a home world, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's the base of operations. And, I, and it gets a lot of flack for that. And I think unjustly, yeah. in my opinion, I think there's a lot of people who there's a really like quick joke to make of, oh, I'm sure this is going to go to Tatooine again. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I Look, I mean, obviously I'm biased because I wrote a whole book about the planet. So I obviously, <laughs> I've, I've come to very much love it more. I have a Tatooine themed tattoo now. So, mm. which is obviously one of the sons, but no, I, I tattoo one and two. Never mind. Sorry, <laughs> I'm ADHD. I, I think what's interesting about Tatooine is that people get mad when stories happen there, but I think that story grows out of story. Mm. So, a lot of things happen on Tatooine because a lot of things happen on Tatooine. Like mm. you have to have Tatooine in Return of the Jedi because you have to have a planet. You have to have Luke have somewhere that he returns back to but is entirely changed, right? So that's why yeah. Jabba's thing has to be on Tatooine because that's that's where Luke goes back to and now he's a different person than when he left. Because when he left, he's saying, I'm never coming back here. And mm-hmm. he does, but also doesn't because he's not the same person anymore. That's mm-hmm. a hero's journey. You have to have that moment. Boba mm-hmm. Fett has to happen on Tatooine because the last time we saw Boba Fett, he fell into a Sarlacc pit on Tatooine. There's not a whole <laughs> lot of places you can start from if you're not going to start from there for that character. Maybe this Similarly, like spits people into space. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then same, similar, like Obi-Wan has to start on Tatooine because we know for a fact that Obi-Wan Kenobi is on Tatooine for this period of time. It's like you can't yeah. you can't be mad that it starts there, but also be mad that he leaves during the story. <laughs> yeah, we, we've talked about it, about the Tatooine thing. I think it's kind of fascinating of how much we, we attach... Um, 
our perception sometimes to a character's perception, right? And if you start with A New Hope in any way, shape, or form, regardless of your age, you start with Luke's perspective that it's boring and nothing happens there. But then if you kind of look at the canon of storytelling, like you're, you're talking about, Riley, Luke's just kind of wrong. Yeah. <laughs> He's a kid who's just like, I'm bored in my suburb. Uh, nothing ever happens in Minneapolis. Like we don't live in Minneapolis. <laughs> yeah, I get. You live I in a suburb, the... and your parents don't let you do anything. Of course, there's stuff happening. Well, you can here, do stuff. I... You just have to make sure your chores are done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing too, I, I I understand the argument of with all the gorgeous visuals there are in the Star Wars universe. Why do we keep coming back to this desert planet? I understand that. First of all, it's because it's easier and cheaper to shoot in that kind of yeah. location. Yeah. That's big reason why to do that. But also. Yeah, I think the Tatooine I my I said this in the book a little bit, but in a, a very in-universe way of saying it. I think part of the charm of Tatooine is that it is this seemingly unassuming planet in the middle of nowhere that is the furthest place from the bright center of the universe and yet ends up being the drawing ground for all these major major events and it's two of the most powerful force users across two generations are from there. You know, these like epic things play out there. And I, I think that is Star Wars in a nutshell is these diamonds in the rough that end up becoming really important to the overall lore. Like Tatooine mm-hmm. is the rebellion, right? Tatooine is the mm-hmm. scrappy leftover Jedi who are rising up to fight off and defeat an emperor. Tatooine mm-hmm. is this desert planet out of nowhere, somehow becomes more important to the galaxy than Coruscant or you know, Hosen and things like that. So mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, we're, I'm right. We're right there with you on that because it's that idea of, you know, you don't think you're part of the story, but you are the story, right? Your journey's yeah. begun. You're, you're Ray climbing those steps. You're Luke dreaming, looking at the sunset. It's absolutely a, a big theme there. And, and we love it. And yeah, yeah. I, I, we, yeah, we've talked about it in more detail, the complaints and it just so happened that three shows back to back factored in. That won't always be the case, but Hey, you yeah. know, it, it's, it's a, it's a big spot and we need, need to explore it. Yeah. That's what's so fun about the book was that I got to explore that and I got to, you know, go through every location that was around. I wrote the book in spring of 2021. So some of the stuff from Boba Fett, unfortunately, and even some of, you know, none of Obi-Wan really made it in. But mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, I got, it was so fun to have a section to be like, okay, here is where Ray buried these lightsabers. But right next to this is where Vader arrived with Dr. Aphra to try mm-hmm. to find where Luke was. So I was able to bring in stories from comics, bring in stories from rebels, bring in stories from clone wars. So it's like, yeah, you see, you see, you know, the Dune sea and you're going to talk about Jabba's bard, but you're also going to talk about Ahsoka and Anakin bringing Jabba's child back and trying to fight off mm. different clone, like separatist attackers and things like that. So it's so fun to see, how many of these stories intersect and interweave across mm. the like storylines. That's mm. really cool. Do you think, uh, do you think of your book as something that like a younger fan can discover and then go, wait, where does this happen? And like search out a comic or the clone wars. Yeah. That's actually my ideal for how it will be experienced. I think it's, I think that it's, it, the book works really well, both, as a nostalgia piece for people who have already been through these journeys and are excited to go, wow, look at all, look at it all together on one page, but also for younger fans to go, huh, I want to learn more about this thing. I'm going to seek this thing out. Mm. That's awesome. Mm. In, yeah, the comics have already looking at some of the sample pages you got Afra and you got the great stuff from, from that line and, and the Vader line. Uh, even Luke and Boba Fett fighting in the hut, like the Kenobi had that's great comic stuff yeah. from, from really uh, 2014. And it, it, was it, was it ever, 
I guess overwhelming, is that the word to sit there and just kind of look across all of Canon and go, what's there for me? Or how much did, did just come out of your heart of uh, you've read it and loved it and, and, and knew you want to talk about it? It was a pretty good mix. There was definitely, there were some spreads where I already had everything I wanted to put in the spread mm. there. And then there were some spreads where I was kind of like, okay, what can I find that works for this area? Because there are some things where really only one or two scenes seem to happen. But it ended up it ended up definitely not being an issue of not having enough to talk about anywhere. <laughs> Every, everything I found, the bigger thing for me was like trying not to retread what another book had already done. Mm. So like I do a section on the Java sand the, the Java sand crawler, mm. and I didn't want to just recreate the complete locations book or the machine schematics book. So I had to really lean into more. Like as much instead of talking about like what's physically there, it's a lot more like here's some story things that played in around it. Love that, love that. Mm. Yeah, great. So and then I I don't know as much about the uh, Batu one. What is the what's the deal with the Batu book? It's a smaller book. It's it's more of a collection of little like toys and tchotchkes and stuff for people to enjoy. So there are. They're like post-it notes that look like the coasters from Ogus Cantina. And there are it's like, a, it's like a Chewbacca keychain that's attached to the Millennium Falcon section. There are there's like a recipe from the Galaxy's Edge recipe book. There are like lightsaber stickers. So it's like a little fun little treasures and activities kit. And then what I wrote on that was I basically did the descriptions of all these sections of the planet. But the thing that I got to do for that book that I was really excited and happy about was... I got to write a letter in character from Vimerati to Leia. And mm. so everything else I've written in these, these three books have all been in universe, but not per se in character. Yeah. They've all been kind of like these broad general terms, but written in universe. This was the first thing I had to write for star Wars where I was writing in a character's voice and for a character. Mm. And the fact that I got to write a letter to Princess Leia as the very first thing that I got to do that with in Star Wars is great. And it's one of the first things when you open the book, there's like an envelope and it has that letter in there. Mm. And, and that was really, there was something really special about that because Princess Leia, obviously as someone who has meant so much to me my entire life. And yeah. so being like, this is my letter to you was, was really wonderful. Yeah, that is really, really great. Uh, I think that is, to me, the most emotional part of Galaxy's Edge is, you know, having read the Black Spire Outpost book and thinking about the amount of work that Vi Ratty and, and her crew put into making this happen right. is, you know, a, a really great uh, point to me where the, the storytelling and the theme park experience collide in a really great way. So that's awesome that you got to explore that. Yeah, I had a friend of mine who told me that when she read through the book, it felt like when she and I visited the park together in February mm. and I walked her through and showed her around. So mm. that was kind of my goal in writing. It was I wanted people reading to the book to feel like what it was like to go to the park with me and have me nerd out about everything. <laughs> so I imagined awesome. myself as like a big fan of Black Spire Outpost who was excited to show a newcomer to the town. <laughs> Well, speaking of nerding out and, and what excites you, we want to talk to you a little bit just about your relationship with uh, Star Wars in general, uh, starting from the beginning for you. Uh, you know, at Force Center, we're big fans of the idea that we can always evolve and grow, but sometimes the way we're introduced to Star Wars is kind of a, it, that's our beginning point and in, in, in colors our perspective. So what was your beginning of Star Wars fandom? The very first awareness that I had of Star Wars was my brother having a bunch of the toys because he was born in 77. I was born in 81. And then I think that my my next real awareness of it where it became a thing that I had a connection to, we had 
it was a big thing in the 80s where you can get these like kind of like conversion vans like fa- like family vans that would have a tv with a vcr in it and that felt like the lap of luxury to have a vcr <laughs> in your van mm. and we had one of those and i don't want to brag we had one of those vans and we went on a family <laughs> vacation we basically we had van money but not fly to our vacation destination money so we we had the van and we drove to florida is there a florida or myrtle beach i can't remember which trip it was but we drove somewhere that had basically like a full day's worth of travel involved. And so mm. my mom found a new release of one of the D, the VHS sets of the original trilogy. And it was the one that came packaged with the fourth tape that was the From Star Wars, the Jedi documentary. Oh, yeah. And that. so I we watched those, we watched the entire trilogy in a row. So my first experience of the movies were watching them in, from a small like D- TV VCR combo in the backseat of a van. <laughs> you, you are the special edition commercial of see it again for the first time. That's Oh, amazing. well, okay. First of all, these were not special edition. These were original cuts. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw special edition in theaters. So that was a little bit older. Yeah. I was, I was, I was, an, yeah. I was an adult, but yeah, I, I mean, I was an adult. I was a teenager, but were the VHS pan and scan or were they widescreen? Oh, I could not. You could you could offer me a million dollars right now. I couldn't tell you the answer to that question. <laughs> it, isn't, isn't that amazing that you found the magic in a way of viewing that would now be just like uh, disgusting to many human beings? Of like, what? Yeah, <laughs> in a van, shaking VHS quality, perhaps not even widescreen. What was it that grabbed you? I mean, that that's. I mean, what you're describing is sounds like such a great like. Um, a uh, romantic, interesting way to experience the films themselves. But when your mind went into the the world of the stories, uh, what hooked you? Were you more of a scoundrel fan? Were you more of a a force fan? How did how did it get into your soul? I was definitely. I've always been a lifelong force fan. I think the the mm-hmm. Jedi and Jedi mysticism and everything around that tends to be my main draw into Star Wars. Mm. I think it was a combination of that and also I loved Princess Leia so much as a character and mm. I liked Luke so much as a character. So those were two really important parts of it for me. And I think there was also just that vibe of, like you said, that romanticism of it. We were going on a journey. We were going on a trip. And now here I was taking this other trip in the back of this van and I was able to <laughs> like, yeah, you mentioned it was definitely the worst possible quality way of watching it. I'm sure there was like tracking issues whenever we'd be hit a bump on the road, <laughs> but you wouldn't know it from my, I, I, I might as well have been inside a movie theater with that TV right in front of my face or something. Cause it was just, mm. I was lost. It was just such a spectacle and such a fantasy. Yeah. I just, I love this story that the emotional experience is, is more powerful than the, the technical quality experience. It was powerful because you were taking your first van ride into a larger world to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. (laughs) So going forward in your fandom, you said Leia is really important to you. Luke, uh, obviously there are so many characters to choose from. So which Star Wars characters do you gravitate toward? Do you, who do you identify with? Who do you see a little bit of yourself in all those kind of things? Yeah, I think Leia at the time, especially because I was still obviously very unsure about my gender identity and there wasn't a lot of language for it around Mm. that time period. Mm. And there was something, this is like things that I recognize now looking back, I wasn't this self-aware as a child. (laughs) But I think the appeal of Leia to me at a younger age was that I felt like there was a part of me, like I knew that I was supposed to be a girl, but no one knew that I was and that whole mess of things. But I didn't necessarily want to just suddenly become super pink and feminine and rainbows and things like that. Mm. And Leia was a character who didn't necessarily, who like was feminine, but also was a badass, right? So mm-hmm. 
I think there was like something about Leia being like, hey, you can be a woman. You can also, you know, grab a gun and shoot a bunch of space cops down a hallway and then jump into a <laughs> trash can and be awesome and lead an army. So I think that was like my favorite Leia in the original trilogy as a kid was Leia on Endor when she's like in full commando mode with the poncho mm. and everything like that. Like I was such a big fan of that. And also when, you know, when she kills Jabba the Hutt, that's great. Yeah. But I think modern day, the characters that I most identify with are your Dr. Afras and your Ahsoka Tano's and your Asajj Ventress and, and Ray to some degree. But I think they're the characters who are a little bit more on the outskirts and on the outside of things. Mm. I think Ahsoka and Asajj, especially for me, I did a piece that got taken down eventually because sci-fi pulled down a bunch of old articles, but I did a piece mm. about how Asajj and Ahsoka were kind of like the opposite sides of the same concept of yeah. people who had been part of an order, but had been betrayed by that order. And then how they had to kind of find their own path through things. And I think that as someone who has often found herself on the outside looking in, no matter what part of like, every time I try to belong somewhere, I ultimately don't ever really feel super welcome or I don't really feel like I'm part of the group. I always feel like I'm on the outskirts. Mm-hmm. I feel like I was the kid in high school who never had a click always had friends who were in cliques that I could be friends with, but never was like part of their clique. I would be like moving from table to table and that kind of thing. Mm. And so I really relate to that. And I think that's a lot with why I think Dr. Afra has come. First of all, it's great to have a lesbian character in star Wars. So I relate to that, but she's also like a disaster of a person, which I think <laughs> I relate to. And I think she struggles to let people in. And I think she often feels like her presence is actually a problem in people's lives. Mm. And I think that that's something that I struggle with a lot. So having a character who I see all of that in is really good. And then there's also a character in the High Republic uh, named Vernestra Vern, uh, mm-hmm. who I I really like because she kind of has guilt, gifted child syndrome. She's she's mm-hmm. basically a a young Jedi Knight who became knighted in her like early teens and way earlier. So she has kids who are older than her that are that are Padawans still. And mm-hmm. she, yeah, she it's it's interesting to see how she struggles with accepting that she is a qualified Jedi Knight and almost has like Jedi Knight imposter syndrome. And there's a whole, there's a whole thing that they do with her where she, she modifies her lightsaber to be a, a light whip as well. And is like afraid to show anybody because it's so not typical mm. of a lightsaber, but it's mm. also like the force literally told her to do it. She woke up and she had like a vision of how to do it and just made it happen. But she's like afraid to show it to her master because she, her former master, because mm. she's like, Oh, what if he thinks that I'm like, following the dark side or something because i have this typically dark side weapon and there's a lot of that kind of thing and then ray i think is another character that i super relate to especially because of rise of skywalker where Mm. this whole concept of oh everyone expects you to be this person and and this is your name and this is who you're supposed to be and being like i'm not doing that this is not who i am Mm. i'm going to take a name for myself that matters to me and i'm going to like figure out who I'm supposed to be as opposed to who the universe thinks I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Such a, a great theme in star Wars, but so powerful in Ray's journey of that. Uh, I love how much, uh, and you and I have talked about this, Riley. I love how much that she is, uh, you know, looking to her sort of inner, inner truth, right? You know, like who am I? And I'm going to base my choices on, on that and having such a forward movement, but also a reflection of everything that she's experienced, who's made her uh, who she is. It's uh, Mm -hmm. so great and so powerful. Uh, I love what you're saying about Vernestra, uh, that I wouldn't wouldn't have thought to include Vernestra in uh, 
a collection of people who are maybe a little bit on the on the outside the same way uh, Ahsoka and Asajj find themselves. But I think that's a really great way to look at Vernestra, even when somebody can be absolutely succeeding, succeeding to the best of all mm. possibilities to be elevated to a Jedi Knight at such a young age, can still wrestle with the questions and self-doubt. And I think that's those kind of characters help us all go like, look, we can see how awesome Ahsoka is and Asajj is from the outside, but look at how they can still wrestle with who they want to be. Yeah, because you can still be an outsider even when you're fully invested as a member of a group. You can also, you can always feel, you know, lonely Mm -hmm. in a crowd. And I think that Vanestra has a lot of that going on for her. Yeah, absolutely. So I take it uh, you're a big fan of the uh, the Clone Wars arc where uh, uh, Ahsoka and Asajj kind of realize that they they're both being <laughs> done dirty by their organizations. Yeah, I you know I think one of the biggest tragedies of the first cancellation of the Clone Wars is that we didn't get a lot of the extended Asajj storylines that we kind of mm-hmm. got condensed down into mm-hmm. Dark Disciple. Yeah. I, I, I would tell you, I flipped out when I was at Disneyland on May the 4th because I was I was there because I had Star Wars night tickets since I was at the park earlier in the day. And I thought they were going to sell the Ahsoka Rebel Sabres again because they had them as a special edition, but only online. Mm. And I walked up to the uh, Doc Ondars where they sell the lightsabers and there was a huge line. And I was like, oh, is this for the ahsoka ones and the guy was like no those are online only it was very scoffy about it like i'm supposed to know your how your business works but then he goes oh one of the ones we have is the is is the asajj venturous one it's like the yellow blade i lost my mind because i could not believe they actually made asajj's yellow lightsaber that's never been shown on screen it's only (laughs) referenced in it's only referenced in dark disciple and but what happened was they originally designed it for rebel for clone wars when they were going to film those scenes Mm -hmm. they ended up not using it for her they ended up giving it to darth maul when he came back in the return clone wars episodes and they made it into a red blade that fits his staff and they've kind of since retconned it so that the, the piece that maul is using is actually maul's it's actually Asajj's mm. blade that she lost when she died and he took it and bled it. And that's why it's his mm. saber now. Mm. That's like kind of the retcon lore they're using, at least in the park, they're saying that. Okay. Yeah. Because the, the, the people at the park have to actually answer the questions of why do they look similar? So they need an answer right now. <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 one of my like ultimate dreams of cosplay is to try to do the bounty hunter on the verge of kind of shifting back to the light side, Asajj Venturist, because she's oh, such an yeah. interesting and tragic character. So. And a great haircut, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so how do you... We get the question often uh, when we're asking listeners for questions of if we would like any of the books and the comics uh, to be adapted into, uh, you know, animated films. And for me, Dark Disciple is always high on that list because I love that that story is there in book mm-hmm. form, but I would just love as many people as possible to experience it and to have that quality time visually <laughs> as well as emotionally with Asajj, how would you feel about that if there was an animated version of Dark Disciple? I, I would be really happy about it because I think it was it was always intended to be animated. So I would like the actual arcs that were written and meant to be and like storyboarded and everything that got turned into that book to then go back to being an animated series again. I would I would love that. Yeah, I think my very... answer to that question, though, of what arc would I want to see animated, it would definitely be many of the Dr. Aphra stories, because I just love, <laughs> yeah. I love the way that Dr. Aphra's books are all kind of intentionally dark reflections on other Star Wars characters, and it's very fun. Mm, yeah, that's great. That's a great way into Aphra uh, yeah. for people looking to begin the Aphra journey. 
Um, yeah. you, you've talked about a, a bunch of uh, great ideas from Star Wars, but I'm curious if there's a specific idea or theme that you find powerful or useful in your own day-to-day life. Yeah, I think the thing I said earlier, definitely about how, you know, it's the the light spark that ignites the fire, right? That's a big mm-hmm. one. And I think found family. I think Star Wars at its heart is a found is a collection of found family stories. I think it's it's very rare that you have a Star Wars story that starts and ends with this character is a loner and they're happy about it and it's all good. Like every <laughs> Star Wars story, even when a character is kind of on their own, ends up being you know, a father and son story with, with Din Djarin and Grogu or, mm-hmm. you know, how Ahsoka finds herself with the people that matter to her. Like that's the big, that's the reason why she never ends up leave. Like she never goes off and meditates by herself because she can't escape the universe because people just, she cares about people too much. And then mm-hmm. I think the original trilogy, you've got your Han, like literally found family and that Luke mm-hmm. and Leia find each other as family, <laughs> yeah. but even more figuratively, like I think that that's, what's so important about Ray's journey is that she's, staying on Jakku because she wants her family to come back for her, but it's only by leaving Jakku and being part of things that she finds the people that are her family. And Mm -hmm. that's important. So I think that that's, that's kind of as someone who moved across the country away from a lot of my close family and also, you know, went through the process of coming out as queer and how that changed my relationship with people in my life. I think that there is something really important about people who, may have no blood relation to you may not be your secret twin from your evil father and dead mother (laughs) and but still are family and still you have ties to them that dig deep and that's you know not a completely uncommon theme across a lot of sci-fi and fantasy but Mm. i think in star wars especially because there's so much of sort of a you and me against the universe you and me against the galaxy Mm. kind of vibe to it like i i I love the relationship between han and chewy like i think Mm. that Mm. that is such a warm just mm. constant and it's so heartbreaking when when han dies and chewie doesn't have han anymore because those two have such a connection and they're such a fun friendship yeah yeah i love everything you're saying i think star wars is so powerful to have uh the theme of family that theme of connection that theme of everyone matters that theme of we are stronger together but then there's also this strong thread of in order to be the best person you can be for your community and for yourself Star Wars to me is also about who are you as an individual? How do these choices shape you so you can be this best part of a whole? And that's a, another part that I really love about the the Ray story is that she so needs and wants family and she finds it. But also in that journey, she discovers that in order for me to be truly a part of a family, I need to decide for myself who I am, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's so tragic about Dr. Afra is that she has those people in her life, especially at the end of, of the Jason Aaron run of it. Before, oh, sorry. It's um, uh, Kieran Gillen's section mm. where before it goes to Alyssa Wong, who's doing a great job with her arc moving forward, but kind of that gap between the beginning of Empire Strikes Back and then getting into volume two of Star Wars. She has these people in her life who care about her and she feels like they're better off without her. And she actively like cuts herself out of their lives and it's mm-hmm. so tragic. It's so, but it's such an interesting and fascinating character choice. Yeah, that is fascinating to see uh, Afra as an, an ongoing tragedy, and uh, <laughs> yeah, fascinating to see where it'll end up. Uh, Any a new character shows up, they're always they've got something to say about Afra and what she's done to their life. It's it's a it's a it's an interesting journey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would you like to see that, Ken? Just a a maybe a, an issue of a comic that's just an interview of people who Afra has 
It's, it's almost the Seinfeld finale. Yes, everyone's going to be in trouble, but, but it's great. No, I, I love Afro as a character. I think I think I think we'll get there someday to have Afro on TV or somewhere. I I, I really believe that. Yeah, I, know I feel like we. Sorry, sorry. I no, got no, you go ahead. Go ahead no, go ahead. I was say, I feel like we're getting closer to that being possible because I think Disney has relaxed a lot of their mm. restrictions on queerness and characters and stuff like that. So hopefully. Mm. Because I would have I would have been sad if they brought Afro to screen, but just like sliced all of her queerness out of the story. Because I think mm. that Star Wars is not a series of stories that are usually about relationships romantically anyway. It is only a, a couple of real like legitimate romances, romantic stories mm. in Star Wars. But I think Afra being a disaster lesbian is so core to her story mm-hmm. that I, I want to see more of that. Yeah, I, I'm curious if the Imperial officers that we're seeing in and or if any of them are going to be someone who might eventually have to get like bionic body parts to replace them because things are sloppy. Like I'm curious if we'll get a tie in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, young, young Magna uh, Tolvar. Yeah. Uh, Tolvan in there somewhere. Great stuff. Yeah. Passing uh, fist shaking about Afro would be great in Andor. Uh, <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. But we're going to transition from talking about both the fun and tragedy of Afra to just talking about fun. Uh, we have some fun questions. Ken, take it away. Yeah, you know, now knowing up top that uh, you have uh, made a, a great decision uh, to stand away from, uh, step away from stand-up, uh, you know, it's it's uh, something we all come to as comics at one point, right? Uh, I did th- have this question, though. The galaxy is wide. You've got tattooing with Chalmans and, and uh, Jabba's Palace. It got me thinking about what would be like the worst place in the Star Wars galaxy to perform stand-up comedy for you? Well, I think Chalmans is basically just like real places that I have performed stand-up comedy in (laughs) like CD bars that are kind of middle of nowhere. And most of the people aren't listening and they're mad that you're there and someone might get (laughs) murdered or get their arm cut off in the middle of the show. So that's that been there, done that. I think that while we're on Tatooine though, I do think Jabba's palace is probably the worst place to do comedy Mm -hmm. because if a bit bombs, you will be fed to a rancor and that is not a great way to get you ready to do a good show. (laughs) Absolutely. I actually yeah, performed at a place in Palmdale, a bar that uh, a week later got shut down for its second double homicide. So it's it's very real. Yeah, I guess the other worst place might be the forest planet of forest moon of Endor because you'd have to have a translator. And if C-3PO can't translate the subtlety of your bits, the audience might eat you. So <laughs> imagine 3PO tried to uh, translate the subtleties of comedy. Oh. I imagine he would make everything quite literal, right? <laughs> yeah. Lots of footnotes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm curious about Tatooine now that we have some more to work with. How do you feel about uh, doing stand-up at the Sanctuary from Book of Boba Fett? Do you New think that's ones. a little more high-end? Would that be a little bit more of a good show? Well, if you bomb there, you bomb for real. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I do think I think the Sanctuary would probably be a little bit better of a place to perform at. I think that might have mm. more of like a comedy club or nightclub kind of vibe to it, which we, people might be coming to see you do comedy. Mm. Before it blows up. Yeah, I, I thought about that. I think it's the, the nicer version of being at Chalman's. I was thinking the same thing about Canto Bite. I was like, ah, mm. casino kicks are the worst. So that wouldn't be a right. good one to go with. The best place I could think of to do stand up in Star Wars is maybe the Gungan village on Naboo. Because I feel like those guys would love to laugh at some stuff. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a Gungan audience would be the best. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You get a good punchline. You get like oh. across the board. Come on. Yeah, instead of your goal as a comic to to kill, be my goal is to just get damp. I'm I need those gungans <laughs> to spit on me, and I knew I really knocked it out of the park. And there's no pressure to do physical comedy because you know they they're like over it. They are they're yeah. not a fan of physical comedy. They will mm. they will ban you if you do it. So it's really all about your performance. That's great. <laughs> One pratfall in there, worrying about their hay blippers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. And I think you can you can probably do an open mic on a Tuesday at Dexter's. It seems oh yeah, like- probably. There's a sign up. You got to get there early and you got to wait. I think that if the audience was into it, the Senate floor would be good because you got, if you got that many thousands of worlds there, you're getting that like stadium vibe where 
if anyone starts laughing, there's like an infectious crowd response to oh, it. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. And I bet inside jokes, inside political jokes kill, right? That's like mm-hmm. the, the press dinner, right? <laughs> yeah. Although it might be like doing a corporate gig where before you go in there, someone takes you aside and is like, you know, it's probably Bib Fortuna. And he's like, hey, just don't do any. Not not Bib Fortuna. Who's the one? Uh, Masamita. Yeah. Masamita's like, yeah. hey, don't do any jokes about the emperor's face. We've talked about it. It's, it will not go well for you. Just and, and don't mention don't mention the Kaminoans. They... Not here. Not here. Yeah, and those kind of gigs where they uh, where they tell you a joke to say that you have no idea what it means. About yeah. like, uh, <laughs> be sure to mention uh, Orn Frita's uh, left uh, head tail. Be sure to mention that it'll kill. Oh my okay. god. Okay. Okay. Well, it could um, be worse. Could be Orn Frita. Oh my god, they said oh. it. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> uh, we also, of course, want to be sure to ask you about lightsabers. If you had a functional lightsaber in real life, how would you use it? Well, obviously, I would get two of them, and then I would smash into boxes to the rhythm of music be a really good cardio workout so that would be one of them i i do think that i would probably get my lightsaber taken away from me at some point because i would be using it to open like beer cans and things like that <laughs> so as they like go into a bar like try to do like magic tricks with it and stuff like that i would i would i would definitely hurt myself i would i would definitely do a lot of damage i'd probably try to glow stick with it at a, at a festival because I do so much festival glow sticking in real life already. But, yeah. Do you think you'd ever be tempted to actually use it in any sort of Jedi-like way to uh, help end an altercation? I will say that I had a bit of a scary situation where I was I had parked on a few blocks away from a bar that my friends were at, and I was taking some of my lightsabers from Galaxy's Edge to show my friends the hilt, <laughs> and I definitely had a moment where a couple of of street idiots were kind of being obnoxious and i was in my head going am i gonna have to use my lightsaber hilts as an actual physical weapon to get myself safely to a place but and it luckily did not have to but i think i probably if it was available to me and i was actually trained in how to use it i mean the only the only thing to stop a bad guy with a lightsaber is a good person with a lightsaber so i would definitely i think i like a lightsaber more as a defensive tool and like a blocker of of Mm bolts then i think i would definitely be more of an offensive tool but yeah no i feel the same way i feel like i wonder if i had an actual physical lightsaber that it could be used to de-escalate situations like you know you pull it out and you ignite it and you announce like i have no idea how to use this and whoever is giving you trouble is just like okay okay yeah okay. i don't want to deal with an incompetent guide with a you know <laughs> blistering light sword Everyone knows at least one friend who has lost an arm to a lightsaber at a yeah. bar brawl. So they're like, all right, just don't mess with that. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a regular road rager, but to have it as a, a tool of uh, menacing, you know, should <laughs> have it. Imagining pulling up to someone, turning on your lightsaber, holding out the window and showing it yeah. to them and then putting it back in your car. Just looking in your rearview mirror and seeing Ken <laughs> leaning out, laying on the horn, yeah. hanging out with the lightsaber, just I shaking. Right away. It's like that scene in L.A. story where people were just firing guns into the L.A. freeway. <laughs> yeah. Just like swinging it out their windows <laughs> going for the tires with the blade for sure well, hey, well, uh ken i'm gonna pitch it back to you yeah but uh you you've written this wonderful book on on tattooing which is this planet that spends uh, spans many eras as does batu of course as we know uh so got me thinking of uh of the known star wars era eras and you know i include high republic in, any area you want to go which one would you choose to live in what would you do in that era I think I would probably choose to live in the High Republic because I like the idea mm-hmm. of living in an era where there's not a madman with a machine that blows up planets. <laughs> that's fair. I feel like that's that like not having a hangover in my head would be good. And I feel like the High Republic, like 
the Nile are rough, but I feel mm. like things are still a little more stable. So mm. I would like I would like to live in a world that's not completely plunged into war constantly, which feels like anything like Republic. So either either High Republic or sometime between High Republic and the fall of the Republic, you know, two hundred years later. So I want to live in that yeah. safe span if I could, because I feel like there's never an era in Star Wars where everything's totally chill and fine. But there are some spaces right. where you might have be able to have a regular lifespan. And I think that if I could not be a Jedi, if I did not have the right midichlorian count or whatever, mm-hmm. I think that I think that I would probably be a Star Wars version of what I already am. So instead of being a, a geek girl who writes books about Star Wars or plays role playing games, I think I would be a geek girl who's like essentially like a Ms. Marvel following like, Ms. Marvel mm-hmm. existing in a world where there are Avengers. I think I would be that I'd be like fangirling out on the hollow net about different yeah. things that are like things that had happened. Like, Oh my God, did you hear, did you see what happened that Valo when the Republic fair got attacked? Oh, the Jedi came in this one guy wrote a dragon. Like that'd be kind of stuff be happening. <laughs> yeah. I might write a wreath Silas uh, fanfic if I actually lived in the high Republic era. Yeah. There's a mention in the high Republic era that there are Jedi romance novels. And I think yes, I would probably yes. be an author of Jedi romance novels. <laughs> oh, I probably right. should just be an author of Jedi romance novels now, but. <laughs> hey, yeah. 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 Put it out there and see if the force responds. Yeah. Uh, here's our final uh, fun question for you. If you could have dinner with George Lucas at any food court restaurant, which would it be? And what would you ask Mr. Lucas? All right. I thought I was going to have an answer to this question before we got to it, and I still haven't. But I do think that restaurant wise, if we're talking about chain brand names only, I think Mm. I might go with like a Charlie's sandwiches because there's a lot of options there. You can get like a buffalo chicken. You can get a cheesesteak. There's some choices. (laughs) Otherwise, I think I would go with one of those single location Mongolian barbecue kind of vibes. Mm. (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of options to choose from there. Also, you get a little more time to talk with Mr. Lucas while we're waiting for the food to cook. (laughs) Plus, he's like, you know, a big samurai fan. So I think you can get a kick out of the swords being used to cook the food. So... I think that will be good. And again, it's a good, maybe a healthier meal. Should get a lot of vegetables in there. Yeah, do that. Have I stalled enough to think of what I would ask him? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I it, think it, it's it'd be fascinating stalling. to see what he would put in his Mongolian barbecue because there's some choices to be at. Oh yeah, does he go full vegetarian? Does he go? Does yeah. he go all meat? Does he? What's he? What's what's his sauce choice? Does he? Does he do a combination of sauces? Does he just do one sauce? <laughs> he yeah. has a plan, but then he just alters it as he goes. That's great. I think I would ask him if <laughs> if he still had the rights to Star Wars and he had the ability to go back and do a special edition of the prequel trilogy and mm. could change something the way he changed, like made changes to the original trilogy, what mm. would he change? Yeah, I think that's a really great question because obviously, you know, he has many interviews where he talks about how he was able to do the prequels at at that time because CGI allowed him to do the kind of uh, stories that he wanted to. But it would be fascinating to see with any advances in technology if, you know, he he, did he always, you know, uh, secretly mean for for decks to be made of water or something (laughs) weird thing. Yeah. Or was there like a story thing like similar to the very controversial choice to have Han shoot second, which we all know Mm. how everyone feels about that is there something story-wise that like hasn't sat with him since then but like oh i don't think this really translated the way i wanted it to or i've i've changed my feelings on that and i would change this 
Mm, yeah, that's very yeah. fascinating. Yeah, the over over time and and how's the world changed? Anything that you put in those, or, or is it just re uh, confirm what you thought and, and just you want to drive the point home? Yeah, yeah. Now, granted, I do think the prequels are more purely what he envisioned for them than I think the original trilogy was, since the original yeah. trilogy is very famously collaborative and the prequels are very famously what George wanted to do with them. Mm. But I still would be interested in seeing what current George would do to change the prequels. Yeah, that, I, I, that's really fascinating. And Ken, I think you make a very good point. I think there's a good chance that <laughs> if he wanted to make tweaks, he might want to just underline some things that he, he felt he said and <laughs> he feels that people still aren't hearing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, underline and italicize uh, it sucks to be darth vader let me make that how can i make that more clear it sucks to be i'm renaming revenge of the sith too it sucks to be darth vader yeah you're not supposed to like the imperials underline this is about imperialism he is a mean nazi space wizard that is palpatine's seal uh, oh, thank you, Riley, so much for the fun questions. Ken, I'm going to kick it back to you to take us home. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, Riley. We really love talking Star Wars with you. Your love of it uh, goes deep. Your connection to the themes and the lessons uh, clearly goes deep. And I love hearing uh, that there. And I love uh, love your passion for Afra because I know that's a very popular character, especially our Force Center listeners. So yeah, a lot I realize of like, I'm talking about Afra a lot. I'm like, for <laughs> <laughs> someone who hasn't had not written a book about her, you would think that I... <laughs> well i mean look here's the thing about Afra. it's like she's uh already dare i say an older character right she she deb- debuts in like 2014 right so that's a that's a bit and so i i think it's important to keep the conversation about her going so no good stuff yeah. i have uh, cosplayed as her if anyone's interested i do have pictures of me in afro cosplay so it's very fun <laughs> Well, awesome. leads nicely into where we're going next. We want to know where we can find you, your own uh, work, and also where uh, our Force Center fans can get uh, the books there. Any any of those uh, books that they like or all of them, we hope. Where can they find it? So the books are actually pretty easy to find. They're all, they're all you know, they're licensed books from major publishers. So they are available wherever you get your books. If they don't currently have them in stock, you can order them. So currently the Batu book, Galaxy's Edge Treasures from Batu is the only one that is currently available the day we're recording this. The Tatooine book should come out in early September. I don't yet know the final release date of the Life Day book. It says September now, but when they mentioned it at Comic-Con, they said November, so it might get shifted around. But it will definitely be in time for Life Day and for the Advent calendar season. So those are all basically any anywhere you get books. Uh, your Amazons, your Barnes and Nobles, your local bookstore, which I'm always a big fan of supporting. Mm-hmm. So go there, tell them you want any of those books. So it's it's Galaxy's Edge, Treasures from Batu, Exploring Tatooine, an Illustrated Guide, and Life Day Advent Calendar and Pop-Up Book. If you go to RileySilverman.com slash books, you will find links to either order or pre-order all of those from major book retailers as well as bookshop.org. And that's obviously in the U.S. I don't know what the release dates are going to be overseas. Otherwise, finding me, I am on Twitter at Riley J. Silverman. My pinned tweet right now is a link to my my book selling page as well. And you can find me on Instagram at Riley Silverman. And that's a lot of things. So I will, I will that's, <laughs> no. that's enough information about me. <laughs> but it all makes sense. And yeah, I always say go go to the uh, go to the local bookstore and and ask it because if they they order it, they'll they'll order a few copies and 
it'll be on our shelves there for you there. So always there do that go. if you can. A uh, good way to look at it there. Thank you so much again, Riley. Hopefully not the last time we talk Star Wars with you. We, of course, are the Force Center podcast feed. We're on Twitter at Force Center Pod, Instagram and YouTube as well. Have another live Q&A coming up really soon there. You can also find rebroadcasts of our podcast episodes there. We're on Facebook as well at Force Center Podcast. You can get merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. Find us at a lot of spots podcast-wise. But if you're on something like Spotify or Apple, you want to leave us a rating or review, we would appreciate that. And you can support us directly at patreon.com slash Force Center. You can follow me at Catnapsock or go to my website, catnapsock.com. Joseph, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on all the social media. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok is at Joseph Scrimshaw. And you can go to my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for all of my other comedy adventures. And if you are going to the Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland, Oregon, a short film I made uh, will be playing there. That is in the first weekend of October. More information on that uh, as I learn it. Uh, but for anything else, any updates on that, just go to josephscrimshot.com. Do it, my friends. Do it. Go ahead and explore Tatooine. Go get some gifts in Batuu. Do it for us here at Force Center. We'll see you next time, friends. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.